Hello, and welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. I'm Peter Beinart, a non-resident fellow at FMVP. Today is April 28th, and I'm delighted to be here with Hawaida Araf. Hawaida is a Palestinian-American civil rights attorney and human rights activist. She was co-founder of the International Solidarity Movement, and she ran for Congress in Michigan last year. Um, we're here uh, to talk about um, uh, a series of events that have, that have taken place with Hawaida at the center in Michigan, uh, starting last month in, in March. And um, Hawaida, I wanted to just start by asking you about that. Great, thank you. Sure. So um, in, in March, you were asked to speak at um, uh, Bloomfield Hills High School in Michigan. Um, and I'd like you to just, uh, I think this is a, a story that has, you know, national resonance because of the way in which Palestinian Americans are often silenced when they try to talk about Palestinian rights. But maybe you can just talk a little bit about what you said at the high school and then the resulting consequences. Sure. And uh, thank you for this opportunity. Um, I think it's important to lay out that this, it was a diversity assembly at the high school and it was planned and run by students, largely if not exclusively uh, women students of color. And it was in response to some racist incidents that had taken place in previous years. So this was the second year of the diversity assembly. And they reached out to me about being one of the speakers. They initially said they, wanted to have speakers speak about their experience with racism, maybe when they were in high school. And I said, look, I don't remember much of that, but I can certainly talk if you want about my experience uh, with racism and discrimination in my work campaigning for Palestinian rights. And they said that that would be perfect because it was a result. I mean, at, because of my work campaigning for Palestinian rights is one of the reasons that they reached out to me. So I, I agreed and I was one of five speakers. Uh, we had a, an Asian American, uh, a trans speaker and uh, two African Americans. And it was an assembly for the whole school divided by grade. So there were four assemblies uh, and we each spoke for a few minutes. I basically spoke about my experience growing up in the United States, why my parents came to this country because they wanted freedom and opportunity for their children. And that's not available to Palestinians living uh, whether in, in, in 48 as second, third class citizens or under Israeli military occupation in the West Bank or Gaza. So they came to the United States. I had a relatively decent uh, privileged childhood. And after college, I decided to go to Jerusalem in the hopes of learning more and seeing if I can contribute to change. This is what I told the students. I originally went to work for a conflict resolution program that brought people together, students, uh, youth together to get to know each other, but quickly came to see that that's not enough. It's not enough to have a friend from the other side. And oftentimes this is used to make people feel good, like they're doing something. And it's not because you're not actually doing anything to dismantle the structures that tear people apart or that oppress people. And so I ended up leaving that program and co-founding what's called the International Solidarity Movement. And I told them that the International Solidarity Movement brought people from all over the world, all kinds of uh, nationalities and and religions to come and stand with Palestinians against these policies that uh, oppress them. And so stand on the side of freedom versus occupation. And one thing that I stressed and I wanted the students to understand is that this isn't about 
Jews versus Muslims or Jews versus Christians and Muslims or Israelis and Palestinians. This is about freedom versus occupation. And I told them that many Jews, Israeli Jews, European, American Jews have come with the International Solidarity Movement and have stood and continue to stand with Palestinians in their, in their fight for freedom. And then I left them with a message of, you know, how this applies to their daily life in that always be cognizant of, of any attempts to divide people because of, of differences. And in your homes, in your, in your communities, in your schools, and when, it, when you go out into the world, if you do that, if you can get away from like identity politics and just make sure that your actions are always contributing to everyone being able to have the same freedoms that you want uh, for yourself, then you will surely help make this world a better place. And it, I, I thought it was a very unifying message. I didn't speak in a lot of detail actually about Palestine, but I did let them know that Palestinians are not free. Israel is occupying them. There are policies like home demolitions. Gaza is completely closed. So while I didn't go into a lot of detail, all of that was in seven minutes. And yet following the assembly, there was uproar. Uh, I heard about it the next morning when I saw press releases put out by the Jewish Community Relations Center and the American Jewish Council, basically condemning the school for having me, saying that, you know, I, I just bashed Israel and other people saying it, it descended into ugliness of I'm a known anti-Semite and, um, and I spewed anti-Semitic rhetoric and all of these things, which I figured there might be some pushback because anytime you talk about Palestinian rights, some people want to push back. But the degree of, of venom I felt here, like deliberate lies and racist tropes that were used to completely distort uh, my participation and what I said, and then to call for the administrators of the school to be held accountable, to be fired, I, I thought was extreme. And it's still... It's still ongoing, unfortunately. Just this morning, I read that the principal who had been put on administrative leave uh, announced his resignation. And last week, the superintendent announced his resignation. Hmm. Because of because of this? It, it, all, all of the reports tie it to this, yes. I can't be for sure. I don't have direct contact with them, but the reports uh, tie it to this. And what was the reaction from the students to your talk? While I was there, you know, I, I thought there were some great questions after. There were questions dispersed amongst the five, uh, you know, the five speakers, uh, very thoughtful ones. Some, uh, one of the questions I remember is uh, a student actually saying, because I had commented about the, the fact that people who speak up for Palestinian rights end up wrongly being accused of of being anti-Semitic, or if they're Jewish, they're called self-hating Jews. And it's important to distinguish between, you know, legitimate criticism of the policies of a state and true anti-Semitism. And when you conflate, it does a big disservice to the fight against the, the, the real fight that needs to be had against anti-Semitism. So a student asked me, like, how do you do this work and avoid being called, an, you know, anti-Semitism? Uh, other people wanted to know how to get involved. Uh, so I thought some thoughtful questions. I did not notice any kind of kind of consternation, but again, it was a big auditorium. I couldn't actually see the faces of the students. So I'm sure um, the, the questions didn't reflect what everyone was feeling. I'm sure that some students were feeling uncomfortable. Bloomfield Hills does have a large 
Jewish population. Uh, the principal of the school did tell me this, and I and I said, you know, in response, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. That shouldn't mean that I shouldn't speak about Palestinian rights because uh, a lot of Jewish Americans, it's, it's not a religious thing. A lot of Jewish Americans uh, actually stand with Palestinians in this struggle. And there are a lot, they make up a good number of the people that I actually work with. And we can't shy away from certain things because it might make certain people uncomfortable. It's unfortunate, I think, that what has come out of this, like what I have heard from the parents, there was a a school board meeting a few days later that was recorded. And just some of the things that were said were were horrific. I mean, I not only was I uh, kind of defamed, let's say i'm I'm used to that. But the kind of things that they were saying about, having me in the school made their kids feel uncomfortable and they don't feel safe anymore. And this, where does this come from that a Palestinian speaking about her experience or about Palestinian human rights? I mean, it, it can't be denied that Palestinians are, are occupied. It's an oppressive system they're living under. So just mentioning this suddenly makes some students feel unsafe. Mm -hmm. That kind of um, mentality I think is unfortunate and needs to be called out and needs to be confronted. It's not necessarily the student's fault, but I think it is the, the parents and, and the system that enables that, the organizations that foster that. And it's, it's one of the reasons that we are, uh, when I say we, I've been working with Jewish Voice for Peace, which is planning a town hall in Bloomfield Hills in the library to discuss uh, what happened and the fact that speaking about Palestinian rights is not anti-Semitic. And we have a good mix of speakers because we wanna take this on. We know that this tactic of, of uh, raising um, kind of this kind of outrage and pushback and demands for accountability when a Palestinian is allowed to speak has harmed a lot of people's a job security and other things. And it creates a, a chilling effect where people then uh, become uh, weary about giving a platform to talk about Palestinian rights. So, so people are effectively silenced. And I think it needs to be called out whenever it happens in order to confront it. Yeah, it also strikes me as, you know, deeply ironic, given that one of the points that 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 kind of political conservatives have have made in, in recent years, including a lot of Jewish political conservatives, is that actually, you know, th that we should not have such things as safe spaces. That the that you should be that we should allow the students that part of an education means hearing things that make you uncomfortable. Um, and um, and that part of what's wrong with progressivism today is that is that people are not exposed to uncomfortable to views that they might disagree with and that might challenge them. And here's a situation where it sounds like they're invoking that very same language of safe spaces to basically say that that for high school students to be hearing a speaker who may offer an opinion that's one that's challenging to them is somehow illegitimate because it makes them unsafe. Exactly, exactly. There was actually a, a few people that said this kind of stuff doesn't belong in our schools where kids should be learning about like math and science. Mm -hmm. And that's it. So what's going on in the world? What's happening? Um, current affairs that they shouldn't be learning that.
so it I mean it it descended into some things that were really uh, obnoxious and unfortunate but we are trying to I want to look at this as an opportunity to to educate to turn things around I mean the fallout has been horrific um, and as I mentioned at least two jobs now have been lost I don't know if that will be able to be turned around but if People can learn something from this and be exposed and we can build on it to confront this where, wherever it happens. I think that that might be a positive outcome. We're looking forward to the town hall actually having a good number of students um, participate in it. So I'm, I'm curious, you, you talk, how much um, do you feel that, that Palestinian Americans, and obviously there's a significant Palestinian uh, American population in Michigan um, uh, have to practice self-censorship um, on their on on this issue, given f- fears of of kind of repercussions like the ones that you've experienced now. You know, I, I think it varies. What happened too, also, I didn't mention in this school, and another unfortunate outcome is that a lot of the students who identify as either a Muslim American or Arab American were subjected to uh, threats, even death threats after the assembly. So it it, it really, um, rather than being what it was intended to be, to expose students to, to diverse kind of, uh, points of views and, and make people more aware of the, the harms of racism and of division, it seems to have exacerbated that. And that, I believe, is a direct result of the frenzy that was caused by these press releases that were put out saying that the host, you know, the school allowed an anti-Semitic speaker to spew anti-Semitic rhetoric to their students. Again, totally, totally false. But a lot of students felt threatened and intimidated. A lot of people, parents... You mean Arab and Muslim students? uh, Yes, in, in Bloomfield Hills High School specifically. And I had uh, a number of parents write to me to thank me actually for, for speaking and for standing up and saying that I helped give their kids a voice and they, their kids felt more empowered even in the wake of this kind of hostile environment at the school. Um, so, but nationally, I think it is a, a consideration or it has been, I hope it's changing. We do have a lot more uh, support systems, I would say, for people that find themselves attacked because of their um, of advocating for Palestinian rights or speaking up about Palestinian rights. But in years past, sure, some people don't didn't even want anyone to know, for example, they were Palestinian because of the hostile environment, because of the kind of misconceptions about what Palestinians, what the Palestinian struggle is all about. But through the organizing work that's been done over the past couple of decades, we have institutions like uh, Palestine Legal, for example, where students can turn to for help and which have also been supportive in my case, Jewish Voice for Peace, which has grown tremendously and which kind of uses its platform to also support uh, Palestinian voices and other organizations. And I think that, I hope that it helps people feel uh, not afraid at least to to speak out or not feel like they have to to self-censor it strikes me that to listen to you that you know michigan is in some ways a real um 
uh, ground zero of a kind for for some of these fights. I mean, with you know Russia Tlaib and then the the Andy Levin's uh, race for Congress. Obviously, just a state that has a large uh, Palestinian as well as Arab and Muslim population and a significant Jewish population. Um, do you think that the climate for a kind of more open reckoning with the with 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 questions of Palestinian rights that 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 climate has is significantly better than it was five or ten years ago? I mean, one might unfortunately draw the conclusion from what happened with your um, event that actually things are as bad as they ever were. That is an interesting question, and you know, I'll, I'll tell you something else interesting that. A couple of weeks after this event, I was invited to an interfaith iftar at a local mosque. And who do I meet there but the rabbi who is in charge of the JCRC and the Arab Jewish, uh, sorry, the American Jewish Council who put out the press release against Mm me. And he was very kind of kind uh, to my face. And I called him out on it. I said, you called me an Mm anti-Semite. And he tried to just sweep that under the rug, but it suggested that we work together or we try to work together, which I am open to. What I'm not open to, and I think where where some of the division comes is that Palestinians, for way too long, for over three decades now, have been um, told to, you know, we we need to dialogue and we need to make concessions and we need to, we are asking for basic freedoms and and are, are told that our demands are too extreme. So it's not, a, it's not about just dialoguing anymore, which goes back to when I said I was working for this conflict resolution program. Dialogue is good. I will talk to anyone, but not in place of doing the work that needs to be done to dismantle the structure that is oppressing Palestinians. And so that goes for even in our speech. Let's not shy away from calling it what's what's happening. Someone tried to say to me, well, you know, the word apartheid kind of rubs some people the wrong way. Like, well, that's that you have to call things out as they are. And I realize it might take some people a little bit longer to come along. Um, And and that's what we're, I think that what we're seeing here, no one will wanna tell you that they're opposed to Palestinian human rights, but if you call things as they are, that's a little bit too extreme and and you need to slow down or you're not the right person to work with. And I think that we have that, that division here. And if we look at, for example, Andy Levin, I mean, what did he say that was so extreme? And yet he was targeted by all these pro-Israel groups because he, you know, speaks up for basic Palestinian rights. Uh, so is Michigan kind of a, a, a ground zero or something for this? It's, we have a long way to go here. We, I think the groups that we have here are at least the, the pro-Israel groups that we have here are fairly strong, but they don't extend everywhere. And we, when I was running for office last year, my campaign conducted a poll in my district and uh, amongst Democratic voters because I ran for the Democratic nomination. And what uh, we asked was, what we said was, Hueda will likely advocate for cutting aid to Israel based on their human rights abuses. Do you consider this a strong reason to vote for her, a reason to vote for her, 
or not a reason to vote for her. And we had about 67% saying it was a strong reason or a reason to vote for me in, in my district. So it's, I think there's a lot of room, a lot of work to be done, but there is a lot of work to be done still. I wanted to go back to the the question you the point you were just making earlier about when dialogue is um, constructive and when it's not constructive. Um, you said you would talk to anyone, but you also said that you worried that these dialogues could be a substitute for action that actually brings change. And and this is obviously a larger subject since the the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement um, you know has a position on anti normalization um, uh, specifically with. Um, uh, um, that 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 can limit interactions um, with uh, with Israeli Jewish institutions, and so I'm curious how you where where you draw that line. In, in what are the circumstances where having a conversation is is valuable because it provides an opportunity for education um, and growing empathy, which might lead people to change their behavior in ways that promotes freedom and justice. And how do you distinguish between that? and a conversation in which you feel like the conversation will not ultimately lead to movement towards freedom and justice? That is a great question. When I say I talk to anyone, this is kind of on, on a personal level, or I would invite them over, or I would go to their place. Uh, but where I believe that it becomes harmful and actually counter or has a, a, starts to be um, yeah, harmful basically to the Palestinian liberation struggle is where these are institutionalized in programs that tend to take the place of doing the work that's necessary. Like if we even look at what um, the, the U.S. government advocates, millions that are uh, set aside for in the U.S. budget to support um, normalization programs or people-to-people -people programs, and these are then touted as uh, substitutes basically for the organizations or for doing the work. Uh, so I can still talk to somebody that doesn't agree with me, but advocate for BDS. It can't be where programs are, you know, bringing people together and encouraging normalization and dialogue. And then that is used to um, slam or, or vilify or, or negate the importance of boycott, divestment, sanction also as a strategy uh, that becomes harmful to the struggle. And that's what happens a lot is you, you get policymakers and others that want to pour money or energy into bringing people together and dialoguing and then uh, pass resolutions to condemn BDS. No, that again, that is the harm that I believe is done. But on a personal level, uh, I, I believe talk is always good in, in order to hopefully bring people along. But when they're institutionalized in programs that tend to take the place of, again, the, the, the work that needs to be done to dismantle the racist and apartheid structures, then it becomes harmful. Does that make sense? Did I? Yes, yes, yes. Um, another question I wanted to ask, it, it seems to me that, um, one of the, I would imagine, one of the challenges that Palestinian activists like yourself face is that so often charges of anti-Semitism are used to divert the conversation away from the question of Palestinian rights. 
that one has to decide how much time one is going to spend arguing that these are not actually anti-Semitic and how much one is just going to ignore that um, uh, as, a, as essentially a kind of diversion, right? Um, and, and, just, and just focus on the question of, of, try, of, of the question of Palestinian freedom. And I'm just curious for yourself how you think about that, how much you think it's productive uh, to, to, to talk, to try to argue against claims that, that, that adv Palestinian advocates are anti-Semitic versus essentially just saying that that's ultimately not a productive conversation because the argument sometimes, oftentimes is not really being made in good faith. Yeah, you know, I question myself all the time when I see some bogus comments on social media to something that I post, I almost want to engage, but then realize that that's not a, a good platform and it's going to be a time suck and it's not going to actually lead anywhere. I think stating quite clearly that criticism of, of a state is not, or say policy is not anti-Semitism. I mean, that's clear. What I feel like those who try to silence talk on Palestinian rights try to say as well, yes, okay, criticizing Israeli policy may in itself not be anti-Semitic, but trying to delegitimize Israel, that's anti-Semitic. Now, what I say there is, look, I, what we, what I am advocating for is freedom and, and equality and human rights for everybody. And that is not dependent on what you're, what you identify with religiously or or otherwise. And so, if me doing that is somehow delegitimizing the Israeli state, then you need to have a conversation with yourself about what you think the Israeli state stands for and why that is okay with you. Uh, and so, I always bring it back to not like one state or two states or what rights the Israeli state has, it is what rights the people have that live in that area. And every single person should have the right to live with freedom, equality, dignity on their land, the land of, of their ancestors and the refugees that are brought, of course, come home again. It is about these shared rights. And it that I feel people have a hard time that want to defend Israel, have a hard time answering. Because then they have to go and say that Israel needs to be a Jewish state uh, and, and come up with reasons why that is, which then descends into these racist tropes about Palestinians and, and who they are as, as, as people not necessarily deserving of, uh, you know, if Israelis didn't have their own state or if they lived in one state with Palestinians and that would somehow pose a danger to them. And then you have to kind of deconstruct that. So I don't get into a lot of these discussions uh, about is it anti-Semitic or is it not anti-Semitic? It is not. And if you think it is because my talk about Palestinian freedom and equality delegitimizes the state of Israel, then that's you know something that you have to think about you and yourself, not something that I am going to get into. I always bring it back to a, a rights framework yeah, I, I have to say, I find it often quite odd and ironic that there's so much focus in from organized Jewish institutions on this demand that, uh, you know, that, that one recognize that Israel has, that Israel as a state has a right to exist as a Jewish state, and it's anti-Semitic to suggest otherwise. Because when I, as I look at Jewish texts and Jewish tradition, I see very little basis 
for a claim that it's inherent in Judaism, that any particular state has a right to exist. Indeed, that, that, that actually what our texts teach is that human beings have a right to exist in, exactly. in dignity because human beings are created in the image of God, not, not countries. And in fact, and that countries, states are judged, including in our own texts, uh, uh, they are judged by the way they treat human beings. And if those states violate basic rights of human beings, then they deserve to be to be replaced by states that do a better job of that. Um, so it seems to me a kind of a form of idolatry to suggest that, that the existence of states matters more than the existence of human beings. And yet that's ultimately what a lot of this discourse kind of comes down to. That's 100%. When I am asked that, like, do you believe Israel has a right to exist? I say it. States don't have rights, people have rights. And if a state cannot respect the rights of the people that it governs, then there that then we have an issue there. So I, I don't put state rights over, over people's rights. So I think you're exactly right. And it goes back to, as you said, even in your own religious text, that, that is that is confirmed. Um but like I said, I think there's a lot of, um, and you would know better than I, but I was just having a discussion with a rabbi the other day who talked about the uh, a lot of the these preconceived notions or the the training that um, you know she got growing up or or kids get growing up where they just see things a certain way and the very talk about Palestine or Palestinian rights is seen as an attack on them. And I think that that's probably what some of the students sitting in that auditorium felt. And that is what's unfortunate. And I think that's really what I would like the result of the town hall that we're having and follow-up work to address why people need to, um, why people feel that way and having them themselves question that if we can get there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems to me that one of the challenges that many of us face is that we may be members of a certain ethnic or religious group that we may be very, very attached to and we may love very deeply, but in terms of our political actions, we need to form communities with people who share our basic beliefs in, 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 in equality under the law and freedom for all people, and that that then cuts across religious communities and that, 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 you know, that Jews need to be struggling with Muslims and Christians and everybody else um, uh, for those, for those principles, because within every one of our groups, we are, we have a divide between people who believe in the idea of human equality and sadly, people who don't. Um, and I really appreciate, I know you have many people who said this to you, but I want to add my voice to them that, that I, I, I really appreciate the, the work you're doing. And I think that the build, the work you're doing in building alliances between Palestinians and Jews and other people based around shared principles about the way human, all human beings should be treated, it seems to me, is, a, is, is, is vital not only for Israel-Palestine, but it's vital for, the, you know, for our life in the United States as well. Thank you. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to do my part. You always feel like it's never enough, but it's, it's what we need to do, right? There is just too much um, hatred and division. And like you said, not just between Israelis and Palestinians, but what we're seeing in our own, in the United States today, it all comes back to this kind of same thing. And if we can get past that and just realize that everybody deserves the kind of, the same rights we want for ourselves. Um, and if we can learn to respect that and work towards that, we'd have, this, this world would be a much kinder, gentler place, I think. Um, Hawada, thank you so much for spending the 
the time with us and um uh and good luck at your um in your in your in your forthcoming work i hope more people will will be able to hear your voice and 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 listen to it rather than than trying to shut it down thank you so much peter thanks for having me